Podcast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. This episode of the PowerCast is brought to you by Audible.com. Download a free audiobook of your choice today at audiblepodcasts.com slash PowerCast. That's audiblepodcasts.com slash PowerCast. And now, on with the show. Yeah, sometimes you can be disgusted with things you do. Like, for example, we had a guest on last week who seemed like a pleasant person, but when it came to trying to get some solid information and evidence... All you got was mishmash soup. And uh, I'm sure that our audience will have responded accordingly, telling us that uh, we weren't patient, we had our minds made up, we weren't fair, we beat her up, uh, you know, she may as well be Sarah Palin. Don't you love when people say, I don't want to talk about politics? It's like, you live in a bubble? Hello? It's people not wanting to talk about politics that, you know, has put us in the situation we're in. Gee, not to make the show about politics or anything. Unfortunately, when it comes to UFOs, we're talking about politics. And then she gets into disclosure. And disclosure yeah. is about politics because you're dealing with government authorities that supposedly have the secrets about the UFO mystery. And we want them to tell us what they know. That's a I'll political action. We're dealing Absolutely. with politicians. I'll say it again. Paranormal paparazzi. Thank you, Susan. It's, you know, that's what we're dealing with with last week's guests. Hopefully we'll do a little better this week. Maybe, please, maybe. Okay, so here we are sitting here trying to find out what the heck is going on. And we have this world, this universe, where they've created this little bubble for themselves. And they have the belief that any bubble is good. All bubbles are good yeah. as long as we believe in the bubble. So if we believe in exopolitics, we create this world called exopolitics we're going to figure out how to deal with the aliens about their sight. Of course, we don't have any confirmed reports as to what these aliens might be. We know that people see UFOs. We know they see creatures. But we don't even know if the creatures they purportedly see are actually the correct forms. Or maybe they are simply mimicking humanoid shapes. Now, I'll give you another example of that. If you remember the movie Contact. Mm-hmm where the Jodie Foster character apparently takes this ship or this wormhole device or whatever it is, and she sees someone who looks like her father. Right. And the being explains that's his or its way of presenting itself in a fashion that we can comprehend. So the life forms out there, we have no idea what form or shape they take. So we're going to start an association or a society or a nonprofit corporation to learn how to deal with a fantasy world. We might as well have a Disneyland association, too. A Disneyland studies, you know, Disneyland politics. How do we deal with the characters at Disneyland? Well, well here's the thing. You're, you're free to do whatever you want. They're free to start organizations to express themselves in any way they wish. That's all fine. It's when these parties start to demand legitimacy that we should now take their opinion seriously. That's where I really think that in many ways, Gene, our society has failed in that it promotes this idea that all opinions are valid. Now, someone I've brought up on the show before, uh, one of my personal cultural heroes, Robert Anton Wilson, is a guy who created this, this idea that everybody has their reality tunnels and that all reality tunnels are valid and that we can learn something about the nature of human nature by studying people's reality tunnels. 
Bob was someone who really believed that we should try to de-emphasize the word is. His whole idea was something called maybe logic. You know, that instead of saying something is wrong or something is right or someone is delusional, you know, you'd say, well, maybe or I think or I my perception is my opinion is. So he was trying to get away from isms. But at the same time, while I love how Bob's brain worked because he's no longer with us, there are certain things I, I, I disagree with him a little bit about. One of the things is that all reality tunnels are useful and valid. I wonder about that. Does that mean that someone who is going through some kind of severe schizoid breakdown in an insane asylum, who has had a complete detachment from any kind of objective reality, does that mean that their reality tunnel is useful in understanding the world? No, maybe their reality tunnel is useful in understanding the point of view of someone who has had a, a psychotic break with reality. Well, maybe it helps us understand why they're having a psychotic break. Sure. Sure, I don't know that it helps us understand about the nature of objective reality. Maybe there is no such thing as objective reality. At the same time, there's got to be some kind of logic in play in order to get some signal out of the noise. And honestly, our guest last week, I think, was all about the noise and really did not have much signal to offer. Well, the part of it is, as she admits, her philosophy is to accept all noise as equally valid. Well, she might disagree with that, but ultimately, in terms of her actions, I'd say that's probably accurate. Like the whole, you know, the fact that she didn't want to talk about the Billy Meyer thing. It's like, all right, fine. Meanwhile, I went to a presentation where she highlighted that case, quote unquote, and, and said, he's the real deal. Now, again, this absolutely contradicts her statement that as a journalist, she's not offering any kind of editorial voice there. And, and by the way, Gene, just so our listeners realize... On the Paracast, we absolutely have our opinions. I think that's pretty clear after two and a half years. We have strong opinions about some of the stuff, and we're not afraid of voicing those opinions. That's, and I think that is something that serves a purpose, and especially in, in the context of the way our society is today, where everybody is politically correct. Nobody wants to make any enemies unless we're talking about the political arena, at which point the enemies are predetermined and pre-chosen. Well, it's also black and white, no gray areas. You're Republican, you're friendly, you're Democrat, you're the enemy or vice versa, and there is no sense of honesty. I mean, if you look at the ads for the two major political candidates, they are both filled with lies about the other. So where is the truth? Where's the higher ground? There can be no higher ground because if you take that approach, you lose the election. Yeah. You can't win unless you lie. It's frustrating. It's a little scary. And look, in many ways, there are bigger fish to fry in the world at this moment than the topics that we discuss on the Paracast. I'm the first guy to admit that. You know, this, to talk about this stuff right now in the light of what's happening with our country, with our economy, it almost seems gratuitous in a way. But I think that as I pointed out in last week's episode, this soft thinking that's happening is what has gotten us into trouble on so many fronts. It's what has created, I think, a real problem in terms of having legitimate conversations about the topics we talk about on this show. It has created for our country, the United States, a real problem in terms of legitimacy on the world stage. This soft thinking has got to be reined in. We have to, we have to fight against this actively. I think in many ways, this is the most important community activity that we should all be engaged in today. Let's try to get logic and rationality 
and intelligence and integrity back into play. It's the only way we're going to be able to deal with our increasingly complex reality on every front. Well, we're going to have kind of a change of pace this week. Somebody who I would say is a storyteller is going to have a lot of interesting stories recounting 30 years as a paranormal writer and broadcaster, and he's one of the broadcast legends in talk radio. He's been around for a long time. He's even, from time to time, been a guest host on Coast to Coast, and we won't hold that against him. <laughs> okay. Hilly Rose coming up next on the Paracast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Hey, neighbors. As we said, this episode of the Paracast is being brought to you by Audible.com, and you can download a free audiobook of your choice and you can select from over 40,000 audiobooks and lots lots more featuring bestsellers about the paranormal about UFOs novels you pick it and when you get the book that you want just download to your Apple iPod or over 400 other devices all right you can download your free audiobook today today at audiblepodcast.com slash paracast that's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. This offer only good for USA listeners. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Kelly Rose, how does... A red-blooded American broadcaster who wants to get ahead in this industry, and then suddenly you find yourself doing paranormal radio. Now, where did this crazy event happen? How did you get sucked up in this mess? Well, there are a couple of reasons uh, why I started into the paranormal. Um, one, of course, was that I always had an interest in it. Number two is that uh, I, I was doing regular talk shows, political talk shows, and I was getting pretty tired of doing, you know, arguing the same old things over and over again. It's almost and, like today you hear the same the same talking points repeated a thousand times. You know, you know, uh, this is not on the subject, but just quickly aside, the reason uh, I, I left paranormal, came back to paranormal, and the reason for it is that in the I started in 1963. 
three, I believe, on a CBS station in San Francisco. And at that time, we were arguing about abortions, uh, illegal aliens, a war, which was the Vietnam War at that time. Oh, boy. Same, same things that, that they you know, argue about today on talk shows. And uh, nothing ever gets resolved. But that's, that's a whole different subject. Your question was, how did I get into the paranormal? <laughs> I got hired by radio station KFI in Los Angeles to work uh, midnight to 4 a.m. You had these stations around the country. We call them Clear Channel, not the company that owns 19 stations in a single market. We're talking about stations with 50,000 watts, or they're heard everywhere. And you have these stations that are heard over half the country. You had KFI, you have WOR and WABC in New York. You had these stations that attracted listeners from 20, 30 states without a network, without syndication. Yeah, there were no satellites in those years. So uh, this was very important. And uh, as we'll talk about later, it was part of the uh, civil defense uh, system, too. So the government created these clear channel stations to be sure that everyone all over America could hear it. KFI was heard everywhere excepting on 640 on the dial in uh, Florida and Georgia. And the reason for that is that Castro, uh, Radio Havana, was beaming in at 640. So he sort of knocked out uh, KFI at that time, but I got calls from Wheeling, West Virginia, and all kinds of places. So yes, you're right. It was a very important station. Anyway, I, I thought to myself, what can I do to get a lot of calls? It basically was a music station. And uh, I thought about Long John Neville at WMCA in New York, who was doing paranormal shows in the middle of the night. And so I saw, thought I would do the same thing. And I did it for almost two years. Uh, and of course, I had 20 lines coming in, and my Lines were always busy, but my ratings were not all that good, which sort of told me that just because 20 people tie up the lines doesn't mean that you've got millions of listeners. Were they the same 20 people calling every night? Um, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> um, well, it depended, but if they were going for a reading, we restricted them to uh, once a week anyway. So, yeah, that's, that's the answer to the question, how I got involved in it. It just seemed like a good thing to do because it always lights up the board. You, you know, you, you're always going to get uh, uh, groupies who are going to want a free reading as to uh, you know, what it is that they, uh, what, where they, their place is in life. Just remember there are lots of Madame Lozangas with neon signs and windows all over the world. And that doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about, but... Uh, it means that a lot of people who are unhappy people, frustrated people, people wanting about the future, maybe getting married, want to know if they're marrying the right guy, and so forth. There are always people you know, who want these kinds of readings and want to be uh, assured that what they're doing in life is the right thing. So in having these, uh, these psychics on, Hilly, um, what did you find was the ratio of people who seem to have some actual ability versus those who clearly demonstrated no ability? Well, I've got to be honest with you. I, mm -hmm. um, you know, I place myself uh, as a reporter. There, there are people who say, I am a believer, and, and they are on the air. And I could tell you some stories of things that happened to me that make me say, gee, you know, maybe there's something here. But to be an honest, true believer, I can't say that I am. I try to keep my distance. And one of the things I used to do every uh, New Year's I would buy up all the copies of the Inquirer and the Star and all these other publications that had very well-known psychics uh, predicting the future. 
Yeah. And then a year later, I would open them up and read these things on New Year's Eve because nobody, nobody would call them New Year's Eve. <laughs> so it was something to do. And I found that the ratio was, uh, oh, 5%, uh, 6%, 10% at the most. 90, 90% of them were just what they predicted didn't come true. Yeah. And, and those are the well-known ones, the guys that, you know, really uh, have a, a following. There's a lot of fishing that goes on with psychics. You know, they say, who in this room is um, has an Aunt Matilda? Well, everybody's got an Aunt Matilda somewhere, or or at least out of a hundred people, somebody's going to have. Right. And this fishing goes on all the time, and uh, these people just don't have the ability, in my in my view. However, now that I've put them down, let me tell you about uh, one person that I I do believe in, and here again. It's a matter of your own beliefs, your own relationship. After having a number of psychics on and, and, and feeling that they didn't, most of them didn't know what they were talking about, there was a lady from Britain, uh, and I'm trying to think of her name, Doris Collins. And Doris was on my program, oh, every year maybe. And I said, Doris, you know, you've been on my program for a long time. How about giving me a reading? And she said, okay, fine. And we went into this uh, private room and she went into her trance she said who is Sam who, who is the person around you um, an older gentleman his, his name is Sam I said well that's my grandfather and she says yes and there's somebody else a younger man his name his name is Jack who's that and I said well that's that's my father now you gotta understand like <laughs> if she wanted to research me she could have done it a long time ago we did this on the spur of the moment so then she told me something uh, that my father said something that I've never told anybody any time, and she told me what this was, and I, I've never, I, you know, I've, I've never told anybody what she said, but it said to me one thing: either she was a great psychic, and, and the, my dead relatives were surrounding me, which a lot of psychics claim, or she was reading my mind, where she somehow was able to get telepathy from from what was in my mind. Hmm. No, I, I don't have answers for you. I really don't. And I, I've never met another psychic who could do this. But one of the things that Doris did, um, she had been on for about an hour or so, and she was getting very tired. She'd been giving readings all day. And she said, I don't think I can go on. And there was a guy in the studio, a friend of mine, who does not believe in psychics at all. And she turned to him and she said, can I borrow some of your energy? And he said, sure, sure, go ahead. You know, because he thought, yeah, this is a fraud anyway. And she said, thank you. And she put her hand to her head. And suddenly I saw my friend, he almost doubled over. It's as though somebody had hit him in the solar plexus. And he was he hit very weak. And, and she said to him, thank you very much for the energy. Now, how do you explain this? You know, I, I don't. But uh, you asked me, what a, do I believe in psychics? Yeah. The answer is 90, 95% of them know. But there are some of them that have abilities I cannot explain. Hmm. You know, we've had a number of psychics approach the Paracast, Hilly, to come on, and uh, we've said to them, okay, we'll consider this. Give us some sort of proof that you have some actual ability. Do a reading for us. Of the five or six that have asked to come on the show, all of them basically turned us down and said, no, I, I can't do that. And, um, <laughs> well, they just they wouldn't do it. They just simply, uh, one woman said to me that uh, she wouldn't be a monkey. She didn't do tricks. <laughs> and, you know, I said to her, look, if you are saying that you have some abilities, and if this is actually genuine, 
we'd be the first to sing your praises from our show. I mean, just give us some clue of what you can do. And it's it's a situation where they want to come on and make their case, but they won't actually demonstrate any abilities. And we were talking about um, recently on the show, and in fact, our little opening thing today, we talked about the soft thinking that's been going on in so many levels of our society. In, in you doing this, uh, doing shows about this topic for for so long, do you think people have learned anything about the field, or are we kind of driving in circles around this stuff? Well, I have a number of answers for you on this. First of all, yes, I uh, or I vote that. First of all, no is is the answer. Uh, there isn't that I know of one scintilla of scientific proof that the paranormal exists or that psychics know what they're doing, other than the kind of story that I just told you. Right, anecdotal. It, isn't, there isn't any hard evidence, no scientific evidence. And yet there are many, many scientists working in this field, people people with great degrees. But your question really is, have we learned anything? Yeah. No, not really. Uh, gee, do, you, do you know of any? I mean, crop circles, cattle mutilations, UFOs. You know, you can talk about the Phoenix Lights. You can talk about... What happened at O'Hare Field? You can talk about Stephensville. Uh, you can talk about all these things, but where's the proof? Where exactly is the proof? Well, that's one thing I've been talking about on the show for quite some time, and I go back in the UFO field for a long, long time. I'm a little bit older than David. I'm younger than you, but I know I can say without fear of contradiction that David will agree with me on this, and that is the fact that we have really gone nowhere. If you take a look at the UFO books, for example, written by the late Major Donald Kehoe in the 1950s and 1960s. And you look at what he was writing about and what he was asking about. And then you look at the stuff written today by people who have a sensible approach to this particular mystery. We've gotten nowhere. All we're doing now, I think, is allowing the fuzzy thinkers to get involved. Well, I don't want to uh, put down the paranormal because they're... There just is um, uh, too much. There's too much um, empirical uh, evidence, uh, kind of evidence that you can't really pin down to, you know, with, with scientific proof. But there may be a breakthrough. Who knows? I mean, look, look at what SETI's been doing for so many years. And they're just going to the Allen array now with 300 uh, uh, telescopes, electronic telescopes. But the sky is so massive, even even that, they're, they're not going to be able to, to cover much of the sky. There's just so much out there. So for us to take the position that the paranormal doesn't exist because we haven't been able to crack through, I, I can't do that. I can't, can't do well, that. Well, cer certainly not. And, and the reason we're having this conversation is that there are many of us who feel that clearly there's something going on. On, on multiple levels, and on the Paracast, as, as I'm sure you, you've done on your show, Scully, you, you end up talking about a bunch of different topics, uh, you know, ghost sightings, psychic phenomena, UFOs, which is a, a particular area of interest of the Paracast. There's definitely something going on. I guess what it comes down to is, have we learned anything about the nature of these things? And, and I, I suspect that... If anything, what we've really learned about is the nature of human perception, in that it's, it's very flawed in many ways. Hey, neighbors. The easiest online meeting service, GoToMeeting, just got easier. 
If you haven't tried GoToMeeting, now's the time. Because the new version of GoToMeeting has fully integrated voice over IP. With this new total audio feature, you have more audio options by being able to conference through a phone or the web, save time, save money, and be more efficient. Hold an online meeting with GoToMeeting. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Brain Tonic. The smart antidote to head fog, the world's first organic botanical-based caffeine-free think drink designed for mental focus and clarity. Tastes great, super safe, with no caffeine crash. Just great fuel for your cranium. No chemical preservatives, no sugar, no fake anything. Check it out at www.maxsales.com slash tonic. That's spelled with a T-O-N-I-Q. That's www.maxsales.com slash tonic. Again, the spelling T-O-N-I-Q. Check it out today. Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast with my two friends, Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to veteran radio talk show host Hilly Rose this week and we're discussing the fact that he's been involved for many years in talking about the paranormal and we're trying to get a perspective on this and finding that you know there's a lot of common agreement here that a lot of things are going on we don't understand it and maybe we're getting nowhere and a lot of that might be because so many people are seeking their 15 minutes of fame and they're so busy seeking their 15 minutes of fame, they've lost sight of the fact that this is a quest to understand these mysteries. And what is your perception? Did you find a lot of people that you interviewed over the years that you felt, you know what, these people want to sell the book or make money at the lectures, do the lecture tours, get on TV, but they don't care about learning anything? Well, let me tell you a couple of stories of things that have happened to me. When I was on um, KFI, a lot of things happened, as a matter of fact, and they haven't happened since. I can't explain that. But me, um, as we said uh, earlier, this was a major station broadcasting to the nation. And the, um, the lady called me one night, day, and she said, I'd like to come on your show. And I said, well, fine. Uh, you know, about what? She said, well, I, um, I'm a disciple of Adamski. Do you remember uh, Adamski? I think it was George Oh, yeah, George Adamski. Right, right. Um, and she said, I, you know, I've been working with him for a long time, and I'm a Venusian. And I said, oh, okay, um, because he claimed that he had talked to Venusians and was surrounded by Venusians. I said, well, come on my show. What's your name? She said, Charlotte Blob, B-O-O-B. You can look at it as a blob. I don't know, but it's a blob anyway. So she came on my show, and she was um, a, a strange lady. She's still alive, as a matter of fact, um, because one of my coast-to-coast -coast shows, somebody called and told me that she was. But because uh, this goes back 30, 40 years, if you know the history of Adamski, I mean, he was one of the very earliest to claim that he had been visited from 
outer space. Actually, you know, I remember his book, the first book. It was half written by him, half written by a British researcher named Desmond Leslie called Flying Saucers of Land. And the reason I bring it up is that Desmond Leslie was one of the first people to talk about ancient astronauts. It was totally divorced from Adamski's part of the book, which was almost like an afterthought. I think that was the most significant part of that volume because he talked about evidence that would indicate that maybe centuries, thousands of years ago, we were visited by alien beings. And not that all of his stuff was necessarily proven, but he beat people like Eric Von Daniken by a couple of decades. But go ahead. Well... She came on my show. I said, you know, like you and like this conversation we're having, I said, well, Charlotte, you tell me all these strange things are going on and that there are hundreds and hundreds of Venusians living amongst us. I said, you know, can you give me some proof, anything? She said, you'll have your proof. I said, well, fine. When? Before I die or, you know, when will this happen? She said, soon. I said, all right, fine. So I went on about my life. And... Um, I have a daughter, and at the time she was going to college uh, in San Francisco, I was in Los Angeles. She um, doesn't believe in, in psychics. To this day, she doesn't believe it, even though she had this experience. And she came down to visit me, and she came running in the house one day, and she said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. But I was in the supermarket, and I was looking for some something, and this strange-looking guy, um, and this was in the day of the hippies, strange-looking guy came up to me, and um, he said, you're not from here, are you? And she said, well, uh, uh, no, not really. And he said, well, uh, you're you're from up north. And she said, yeah. And, and she said, Dad, you know, I, I know when somebody's trying to pick me up. This was not what happened. This guy was very strange-looking, and, uh, you know, he had a sort of a sallow face and, and long hair. And and I, I just sort of looked down because I didn't want to be bothered by him. I thought he was one of those hippies. And I just looked down for an instant, and I looked up, and he was gone. And I said, oh, well, that's really interesting. Mm. Uh, and I said, you know, he just disappeared practically before your eyes? She said, yeah. So I didn't think too much about it. I thought, well, you know, she's hallucinating here. But about uh, a week later, she um, was supposed to meet me in McDonald's in Westwood. And um, she uh, she walked in, and, and this McDonald's is, is two-storied, and I can look down. And I saw her come in the door. I was up upstairs. She, um, you know, walked uh, in, and, and I saw her blanch. And then she came running up the stairs, and she said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. I saw another one of these people, and he was sort of sallow complexion and, and long hair, and um, he disappeared. I mean, like, right before my eyes, he just went and zapped. Hmm. And I said, well, that's pretty strange. Now, your daughter didn't have any interest in this stuff prior to this. None. Okay. None whatsoever. Okay. And so I, I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe Charlotte Bloom and the Venusians are trying, they don't want to do this directly with me, but they want to prove it through my daughter. And to this day, my daughter, you know, swears that this, these things happened, and um, I can't explain it. But uh, I, I got a note from Charlotte one day, and she said, now do you believe? And that's huh. it. Another strange story happened to me at KFI. Uh, we talked about clear channel stations, and there's a guy by uh, Rodave. Do you know Rodave? No. Uh, well, he, he came from um, uh, somewhere in Croatia, and he was the guy that originally, because we're talking 30, 40 years ago, he was originally the guy who said, 
you take a tape recorder, you put it in a room, you say, is anybody there? You walk out, you come back in 30 minutes later, you replay the tape, and you will have voices. EVP yeah. stuff, yeah. And indeed he did. I mean, he had Winston Churchill and he had all kinds of things. So uh, the guy who was bringing me this stuff was a musician, and he had asked Radovay, is there music in the other world? So he said, Radovay said, of course, I don't know, but I'll use my tape recorder and I'll go and I'll see what happens. And what happened was he got on tape a series of gongs. And I said, well, gee, that's interesting. Bring the tape in and I'll play it on the radio. So again, remember, this is a 50,000-watt station, part of civil defense, very important. It had all kinds of backup um, generators, uh, you know, things to keep it on the air because in cases of an attack of some kind, this station was to notify half the nation. So I played the gongs on the air and I saw my engineer's face go white and I said, what's going on? He said, I don't know. We're off the air. I said, how can you be off the air? He said, I don't know, but all the electrical systems have failed. Not, not the lights in the room. But the electrical systems and broadcasting have failed. You know, the, the BI indicator has gone to zero. Everything's gone. I don't know what's going on. And so I stopped playing the tapes because it wasn't on the air. And then when I stopped playing the tapes, the everything came back on again. Very strange. Well, because it was civil defense, the United States government had to get involved. They had to come and, you know, find out what happened. Why did this very important station go off the air? And there was an official government document and report that said, now, if you remember condensers, that's what they used years ago. Sure. Uh, well, they claim that a piece of dust got on the condenser, and that shorted something, and that's why we went off the air. Very strange this happened at the very time that I was playing Radovay Gongs. The station had been on the air for 50 years, had never gone off the air for any reason of any kind. So... I said to management, okay, well, since it was a piece of dust, let's do the tape, the, play the gongs again. And they said, no, 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 don't you, you do that, you're fired. So, <laughs> no gongs uh, because we don't want to bring any more dust in the condensers. Right. So you figure it out. I mean, we were talking about what's proof. I don't know what proof is. I know that I played these gongs that we went off the air, and the government says it was a piece of dust, and I don't know how people. At that precise moment, a piece of dust came on. Very strange. Now, you were telling us earlier that despite the fact that you had a lot of listener participation, your original KFI paranormal broadcasts didn't do well from ratings. So right. what did the management do? Oh, well, they, they switched me to daytimes, and um, I, I started doing shows from Universal Studios. Not not the studio itself, but the, uh, the attraction. And uh, we broadcast from there and had various stars and things like that and then after that uh, sort of wore itself out uh, there was a change of management and Cox Broadcasting came in and bought the station and they decided to do something else so um, I went back to you know talk shows regular talk shows did that for many many years again talking about uh, illegal aliens and abortions and the war and you name it so that's that's what happened there how did you get back into the paranormal after that well I got back for the very reason we just talked about. I got so tired. I mean, how long can you talk about the same thing over mm -hmm. and over and over again? <laughs> and because I had this interest in the paranormal, I uh, had an opportunity. It was one of the very first to have an Internet show, oh, 10 years ago or more. And uh, out of that Internet show uh, came an opportunity to do Coast to Coast when Art Bell was... Uh, 
he announced that he was going off a year and was never going to come back, even though he keeps coming back. So they hired me to replace him. And, you know, and from then on, I, I just did these shows and then uh, Sirius, uh, Satellite Radio hired me for three years to do shows, and uh, then I went with Fake Radio, which I'm still doing. Uh, so that's, you know, it just, it's more interesting to me. It's more exciting to me because I get to talk to a lot of very intelligent people. You talk, uh, on regular talk shows, you talk to a lot of dumbheads. That doesn't mean there aren't some intelligent people who call, but there are a lot of really peculiar people out there. But I find, and I'm sure you go to various conferences, and I am always amazed at the number of PhDs and scientists who are interested in the paranormal and who uh, devote a lot of time. I mean, you look at people like Leo Sprinkle out there in Wyoming and uh, you know, so many other people who are dedicated to discovering what's going on with the paranormal. I want to tell you a um, story um, about the thing that, that's interesting me the most right now about the paranormal. Are you aware of Dr. Dick Strassman from uh, Albuquerque University? Uh, that would be the DMT guy, right? The DMT guy, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I was, uh, year, years ago, uh, when he first came out with his information, I started talking to him. And I, I've been talking to him for uh, on and off for some time, for a very long time. Uh, well, let me just explain that uh, he, uh, he did an experiment uh, with uh, the uh, University of Albuquerque. Or, I'm sorry, New Mexico, University of New Mexico, mm-hmm. in Albuquerque. And uh, Rick got a, uh, a grant, the first grant in 20 years from the United States government to study psychedelics. And he studied DMT and he injected a number of people with DMT. And these people saw a variety of things, including ETs. What, what does that mean? Well, DMT, um, and, and there's a very personal story I'm going to tell you, and the reason I bring it up. DMT uh, is manufactured in the body uh, normally. We all have DMT. But it, um, it it floods the brain between 2 and 4 in the morning, no matter what time zone you're in. Why that is, I don't know, but it, it just does. And all of the, not all, but many, many, many of the abductions have happened between 2 and 4 in the morning. You can start with Betty and Barney Hill. happened between 2 and 4 in the morning. And you go down the list, and many, many people claim, who claim to have been abducted uh, have it happen between 2 and 4 in the morning. You can push it to 5 o'clock if you want them in, in, in that area. Now, what does that say, this DMT in our brains? Either, either it is making us dream that we have been abducted or whatever else goes on, or it somehow drops a veil and lets us see something that is, um, that's there that the rest of the people can't see. And I've been fascinated with this because I, I had a son. He was very well known. His name was Judd Rose. He was with ABC Nightline for years and had his own show and wound up with CNN. But he developed a brain tumor, and that brain tumor killed him. Oh, he died about seven years ago. But the very last cogent intelligent conversation I had with my son. I was in New York. He was living in an apartment on Riverside Drive. And from a window, you could look outside Riverside Drive. And we were looking to see the limousine that was coming to take me uh, to the airport. And suddenly he said, look, Dad, look outside there, walking down the street. There are all those 
guys dressed up in astronaut suits. I couldn't see a thing, and his wife was there, and she couldn't see a thing. But he saw these guys in astronaut suits. And because he had a tumor pressing on his brain, and he had a lot of DMT in his, you know, on, you know, in his brain at the time, one wonders then, did he see, because astronauts look like ETs, you know, with the, the helmets and all the rest of it, did he see ETs actually, or did he have some kind of dream going on because of his DMT in his brain? I, can, I don't have an answer for that. So I have been talking with Rick for some time, Rick Strassman, and trying to see if he can figure something out here. Rick decided to leave the field. He was so frightened by the results. And this, this is a direct quote. He said, I am frightened by the results that I have gotten in pursuing DMT. And, but he, and he has no answers for me about what happened with my son. What exactly was he frightened of? He was frightened of the results that he got on, on you know, he wrote in his book about DMT. And he's got a, a new book out now called Inner Past Outer Space, because he's sort of gotten back into it. But he was frightened that he was getting to something that was beyond his control as a scientist. He was concerned that he was opening up new worlds that he he couldn't cope with. Because people were seeing malicious clowns, they were seeing ETs, they were seeing repti reptiles, you know, the reptoids. So what does that say? That's why when you ask me about my, my beliefs here, despite all these strange things that have happened to me, to people around me, and look, there's my daughter, there's my son. <laughs> Nothing's ever happened to me, really, other than that uh, thing with Doris Collins where she told me some things that I've never told anybody. But what does this mean when these events happen around you? And, you see, Rick got frightened. I wouldn't be frightened by it. I, I would welcome it. You know, come, let me, let me know what's really going on. I want to know the truth here. Uh, Rick is slowly edging back into it now. He's, he's beginning to work in MUFON and, and uh, some of the people there. Uh, trying to uncover some of the uh, mysteries of, of all this, of psychedelics. But that's, you know, why I, 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 I'm i agnostic. People ask me, do not do you believe in all this? Anytime I go to a dinner where I meet new people, they say, do you believe this? I don't know. I'm agnostic. But I'm darn well not going to put it out of my mind and say, it didn't happen, there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. That would be stupid. It's like saying there's no life in the universe other than ours. I'll tell you, before we are cut off at the throat here. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
we're talking to Lily Rose. We'll call him a paranormal radio legend because he's been around for so many years, one of the early practitioners of this rather unusual art in which we are engaged. And we're talking about some of the people he's known, experiences, and everything else. Now, although your sole experience is a reading, in terms of UFOs, which we cover so much on this show, what are the most compelling stories that you've heard, other than, of course, this person that was apparently seen by your daughter and these astronauts by your son? Any guests that came on and they came out with a UFO report that really knocked you out? Yes, a couple of them. UFOs, I believe, or I know as a matter of fact, about 90 to 95 percent of UFOs are man-made. Fractals, the wonderful designs that they do on computers, and they go out in the fields and cut these things, uh, they're man-made. The uh, BBC, every year, every single year, sends people out in the fields to create UFOs to prove that they're not, they're not extraterrestrial, that they are they're made by individuals, and it's a big gag. It's a crop We're talking about crop circles, right? Pardon? But we're talking about crop circles? Crop circles, yeah. Okay, not UFOs. Now you're saying UFOs. Uh, that's true. I'm, 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 you know, I'm combining okay. a couple of stories here. Okay, all right. Uh, let, let me stay with crop circles since I've started this one. Okay. Uh, I've talked to a number of people who admit that the only circles that really would seem to be extraterrestrial would be the very simple ones. And I have talked to some people who have made these crop circles, and a couple of them tell me that they feel other-directed. Because I asked them, why do you bother? Why do you do this? And they have said that they feel other-directed to, to go out there and create these things. Uh, when they, they make them up on, on their computers, they feel other-directed. And I've had people tell me who make the crop circles that they have seen little, little balls of light and they have also seen dark, shadowy figures. I don't understand what's going on there. It's strange. Your question about UFOs. There are so many sightings. There are so many things in the sky. And we tried to talk briefly about SETI. And, you know, even at this, um, I talked to Dr. Frank Drake a number of times. Every time I talk to him, I say, Frank, are you ever going to find anything? And he says, within the next 10 years, we'll find something. Well, he's been at it for like 30 years or more. <laughs> I say, Frank, you tell me this every time I talk to you. He said, well, every time I talk to you, I feel within 10 years we'll find something. And so, you know, they're starting his new Allen array, and they're looking up in the sky, but the sky is so vast. It's, it's, it's incredible. I've been down to study a few times, and when you look at the sky from their, their vantage point, you know, they're just looking at a little tiny slice of the sky. So, uh, no, there's, there's nothing in UFOs that, that, uh, that I feel dignifies it as, as a, an actual fact. I've looked at the Phoenix Lights more times than I care to uh, think about. I do not believe that's extraterrestrial. I, I believe that's man-made. I mean, if you really spend time looking at it. I'm not an expert, but that's my feeling. What happened at um, O'Hare Field, I think it's a tragedy. The United States government is not willing to go out and, and uh, research it because a lot of United Airlines employees saw something now, what was it they saw? These are trained pilots. These are uh, stewardesses. These are, um, you know, ground personnel. They all saw something. What did they see? 
But in, in terms of, of any of the sightings, I, I, there's nothing I know of that, that says, here is definite proof. The reason I brought up Frank Drake is because Frank says, no, UFOs could never, never, never. This is a very highly educated scientist. UFOs could never travel the distances to get here. And I said, but Frank, you're talking about existing physics. And he said, yes, because there is nothing else. Well, I, I, he buys that as a scientist. I don't as a non-scientist. There, you know, physics could be so far advanced in other cultures that they could get here. They go through wormholes. They go through black holes. They, who knows what, how they could get here? But they could get here. So if you take the position that Frank takes, and all of SETI takes, that no, there's no way that UFOs can come that far. The distances are too vast. Then you're sort of just blanking out and saying, no, you know, don't don't bother me with the facts. I've made up my mind, and that makes no sense to me at all. That's the the old Stanton Friedman position. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and I've been Stan and I have been friends for oh thirty forty years, uh, and and I, I agree with Stan completely because uh, this mindset that so many scientists have that this is the way it is and. You know, don't bother me with alternative uh, ideas because I don't want to hear them. And well, it, it, it's pretty clear that uh, in terms of our understanding of the physics of reality, uh, we have a lot more questions, I think, at this point that we have answers. Uh, any any honest physicist would probably you know state that. Of course, human beings don't like admitting they don't understand things. They they don't like the insecurity of that. And so you, you have people who grab a position and say, this is what it is. And, and Hilly on the Paracast, uh, uh, an underlying theme of the show is that when someone tells you they have all the answers and they say, this is what it is, you know, this is, here's a global statement about any aspect of the paranormal realities that we, we face. Um, at that point, once someone has all the answers, that's when you should be real concerned and question whether yeah. or not Also, they look have at any your answer. wallet. Definitely look at your wallet. <laughs> well, that's now, what I try to do, you know, as a broadcaster, and that's why I say I'm agnostic. Uh, I, I don't join the great uh, unwashed who are believers, and, you know, I go to so many conferences, and you must also. It's the same people saying the same thing over and over again, preaching to the choir. Uh, there have been so many frauds who said that they have captured, uh, you know, these uh, extraterrestrials. Uh, and, and they've all proven to be frauds. And yet there are people who want to believe so badly they believe these people. Well, sure. There, there are people who want to believe lots of things. There are people who want to believe our leaders are doing things in our best interests. And they convince themselves of this. And, and a lot of those believers in the last couple of weeks have now started to question whether or not that's the case. Hilly, I'd like to go back to, I know we kind of skipped past the whole DMT thing. But I want to go back to that for a moment and, and the issue of hallucinogen, hallucinogenic compounds. There's a, a, a close personal friend of mine we've had on the show uh, by the name of Michael Miley. And uh, he actually started as a, uh, a real skeptical thinker about these things. And uh, as he started doing research in the field, became more and more convinced that something was going on. Michael also had a very deep and has a very deep interest in the issues of pharmacology. And, and hallucinogenic, you know, hallucinogenic compounds and what effect they have on the perception of these things. And how do you deal with the, the people who say, okay, look, once we're talking about 
changing your brain chemistry to such an extent. Yes, DMT is produced naturally in the brain, but perhaps ingested DMT is a, is, is a much higher level of the active component that we're talking about. How do you, how do you deal with the question of any kind of objective understanding of what's going on around us when certainly under the effects of things like hallucinogenic drugs and, and DMT is just one. There's another very interesting one called salvia divinium, which has been getting more and more, uh, more and more interest lately. But how do you address people say, well, well, God, you know, people, when they do hallucinogens, they're hallucinating. Are, are, how, are you taking hallucinations to be actual reality? Well, <laughs> it's a complicated uh, question. That's, that's, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's the question that I raised, you know, with my son. You know, does does the hallucinogenic? Uh, I mean, yes, it's naturally produced in the body, but nonetheless, it's a hallucinogenic. Right. Um, and that's why we dream, I guess. Um, but I, when you look at the ayahuasca, uh, which has been mm-hmm. used for, for centuries, uh, and uh, they call it the Indian cultures, and, and Brazil, uh, and a lot of places, and that does the very same thing. Sure. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I don't have answers here. I really don't. If, if I had an answer, I'd give it to you. But <laughs> that's why I think we need to study it more uh, to, to just, you know, as the government did, just ban all, all research on it is uh, ridiculous in my view because there may, there may be more out there that we, we need to understand. Not to make the, uh, the, the conspiracy argument here, but it, it does appear that in terms of uh, federal involvement in things like the drug world, what, what we see pretty consistently is a real desire on the part of government to, to ban and demonize drugs that are expansionary in, in what they do, the things that make you sort of look at reality in a different way. But there is a, a real kind of a, a hardcore legality of the drugs that sort of deaden impulses and deaden perception like alcohol. I mean, so you have this ongoing thing where, you know, the chemistry that does really bad things to us like nicotine and alcohol, those are legal because those essentially help control people where things like hallucinogenics would turn you on to a different reality. Well, how do you control people who now question the nature of reality? And the answer is it's much more difficult. So, yeah, it is. You know, I, uh, I live in San Francisco and uh, right near the Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And I won't say that all great advances uh, have come from psychedelics. But I can tell you that many uh, of the people I know who are very high up in, in this whole field of you know, the Internet and electronics, uh, the great inventions, many of them tell me that while they're not addicted to these drugs, they have had problems where they just they can't have a breakthrough. Just somehow they can't break through to where they want to go. And they have, in desperation, taken a psychedelic, and um, in many cases it has opened them up, and they have... They've solved the problems that they wanted to solve. So many of the benefits of society that you and I enjoy today in the Internet have come from uh, people who are using psychedelics. But they won't admit it. They won't uh, say it publicly because somehow uh, it's a bad thing. Uh, but alcohol is okay because a lot of people make a lot of money on it. Right. <laughs> and not a lot of money in psychedelics. Well, also, I think uh, in, once you bring alcohol into play, then you have this odd mixing of religion where you know wine is part of a sacrament and so it has kind of the religious branding behind it that says okay 
um, gee, if they've been using it for thousands of years in this sort of religious context that's been approved for thousands of years, well, then how can it be bad? And, of course, that is really fine as far as Judeo-Christian religion goes, but if we look at other uh, religions and if we look at other cultures, like you mentioned, ayahuasca has been utilized by shamans in Latin America and Central America for probably as long, if not longer. And, and of course, when we talk about this, you know, people, this is where people's ignorance about even the origins of drugs. And, and of course, just the idea that drugs are, are, are the, the term drug has been demonized, yet, you know, when you're feeling sick, you go to the drugstore to get your officially federally sanctioned drugs. These are the good drugs. These are the drugs that will help you. Oh, they're really, really addictive, and they have all sorts of wild side effects. But these are the sanctioned drugs. Meanwhile, oh, the thing that grows out of the ground, the plant that's an herb, that's a flower. Oh no, that that's bad. Don't touch the don't touch the natural stuff. We're going to make nature illegal. It's this other stuff that's good. And oh, by the way, the other stuff is derived from the same plants that we've made illegal on the left hand side, but on the right hand side. Once we actually destroy the nature of the plant and distill down the pure stuff, well, now that is a legally sanctioned drug, and it's all good and fine. That ends up being about politics, not so much about biology. Also, it's approved by the Food and Drug Administration, but if you watch the commercials for all these drugs, oh, my God, I no longer have osteoporosis or whatever it is. And then you listen to the terms and conditions and the, as they say, counterindications or contraindications that doctors point out. Well, it could make you throw up. It can constipate you. It can cause diarrhea, I guess, at the same time. So I don't understand that. But you listen to all these contraindications, and you have to be scared to death. Well, that's true. And, and, and I tell you, I live in San Francisco, as I said. And, uh, uh, you know, the hippie generation from here uh, on through, people have misused drugs in, in many ways. And I see the results. I see the, the people walking down the street who they're just, you know, uh, burned out. So, Damaged. You, yeah. So you got to be careful with this kind of stuff. Yes, uh, you know, if the government would just get involved and say, you know, admit that, that there are benefits from uh, some of these so-called illegal drugs, or psychedelics and, and study them and uh, use them properly, I think we'd all be better off. Well, and, and let's remember that perfectly dangerous drugs end up getting rebranded. Uh, the, the, the current Playboy magazine has a really interesting article on Adderall and its misuse in colleges as a study drug, when in fact Adderall is basically rebranded speed. That's what it is. And once you put a different name on it and put a different marketing campaign behind it, gee, now it's a beneficial thing. But but this is something that we really see in so many aspects of, of our culture, uh, guys. I mean, y you take something that is uh, not necessarily good for us, you attach the appropriate marketing messages behind it, and now all of a sudden... It's it's our friend. Our enemy is our friend. We're talking to Hilly Rose on the Paracast. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. 
Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. Back with Hilly Rose on the Paracast. He's a broadcast legend who's done paranormal radio for thousands and thousands of years. And we hope he keeps it up. David, you had a question that you wanted to pose that required kind of an interesting comment. Go ahead. Hilly, in the years you've been doing paranormal radio, I guess we'll put you on the spot here a little bit. Who's the person that you had on that within five minutes of speaking with them, you knew that they weren't the real deal? Can you can you think of somebody who, within five minutes, you thought, oh, God, I have to speak to this person for a couple of hours. What am I going to do? <laughs> well, no, I, the answer to that question is pretty simple. I have thrown people off of my show. Uh, Shirley McLean is one. Ooh, uh, do tell. Oh, that's one we definitely sit good. back around and listen to. Okay. Shirley McLean came on my show. Before she arrived, uh, she her, her uh, PR man arrived, wanted to know exactly what hall Shirley walked, would walk down, where she would sit, what kind of chair it would be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that really ticked me off. Uh, in all my years, nobody has ever done that. And uh, she, um, she finally arrived, and uh, I got a call from uh, the... Uh, Receptionist, and she she was crying. And I said, "What are you crying about?" She said, "Oh, Shirley McLean, she's terrible." I said, "I don't know what you, what you mean." Anyway, Shirley arrives. She had written a book called I'm "Trying to Remember the Name of It." You can't get there from here. That was the name of the book. She had been to China or somewhere and led, led some people. Anyway, to make a long story short, um, she sits down and uh, she says uh, she, she starts throwing her weight around. You know, like she's. A grand person. Well, you know, big movie star. And she was there to publicize the book. And she, um, uh, I, I started out and I said, uh, Shirley, uh, I read your book because I read all books when I do an interview. I said, Shirley, you, um, you say you can't get there from here, but I get the feeling from reading your book that you can get there from here. She said, no, you, 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 you misinterpreted, uh, you don't understand my book, obviously. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. Sure. <laughs> you know, I read your book. I know what you're talking about. And then she said, hey, does anybody here have any coffee? I want some coffee. I said, you know, we've been interviewing for like two minutes. And I was really upset because I don't believe anybody is that high and mighty, including Shirley McLean. And um, anyway, I, at, at that point, uh, and there was no coffee, by the way, uh, and she said she was uncomfortable. She was hot, whatever. And I said, Shirley, this interview is going nowhere. This interview is over. Goodbye. And I turned off the mic, and I said, now you can just play and leave. And she was booked for an hour. What are you talking about? And so she left. Well, i got to tell you, I received ten letters from people that she had been on this trip with to China saying what a terrible human being she was. That she, oh, oh. She, you know, had us sleeping in sleeping bags, and she had this wonderful tent and beds and everything. And, and she, you know, didn't talk to us. And she did the, and she had taken this group with her. And I, just everybody that I have talked to ever since wow. has known Shirley McLean has told me what a, uh, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but uh, what a very not nice person she is. How's that? We don't have so, to use the other word, but I kind of wonder here, maybe she's like Al Gore who tells everybody that 
he's for a green planet, but then sits in his limousine using up you know, eight miles a gallon. Well, his limousine is his, uh, his jet plane, and, and he just bought a new houseboat, by the way, a huge houseboat. Uses oh, a, right. a, a lot of gas. So, you know, that's, that wasn't the question you asked me, uh, but, oh, that, what I was Oh, that was a good is, one. Yeah. No, that was, uh, yeah. What I was, was trying to say here is, uh, there have been a few people in my career where I've just decided they're not worth dealing with. They're not better than me. I had a, um, a guy that was running in Los Angeles for, it was Howard Miller. He was running for um, district attorney or something. And somebody called and, and accused him of something. And then Miller turned around and accused me of knowing who this person was. And that this was a setup of the whole thing. And I threw him off the show. I said, this program is at an end. And boy, did that hit the papers. Anyway, what was the original question that you asked me? No, that was the original question was, who was the one person you had on within a few minutes you knew you didn't want to have on or deal with? Which was kind of what we went through last week, but we won't even go there with our guests last week, which, you know, it. You know, you don't have to, to bear it, and I don't have to bear it. And, yeah. you know, I've had people come on the front of the show, uh, who have a book to push, and right. I, I can tell right away they didn't write the book, and worse, they never read the book. And, and I did. So I asked them questions, and they had, they, they didn't remember, they didn't know. Uh, people are, are ridiculous. Uh, if they think they can get away with this kind of thing. But uh, there's, there's nobody really that has impressed me that much, other than the few people that I've mentioned to you. So mm -hmm. where are we, folks? Uh, you know, uh, do I believe? No, I'm still agnostic. I know there's something going on, but what it is that's causing it, is it DMT? Is it ayahuasca? Is it uh, melatonin, which, by the way, is a relative of DMT? Mm -hmm. uh, manufactured by the body, and that helps us to dream, and I think these psychedelics do too. But are psychedelics part of the paranormal? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you something here, which you may or may not want to talk about. Of course, you replaced Art Bell during one of his many trips to retirement. I have never seen any numbers of times. Okay, this person has retired more times than anybody. You know, maybe the late Frank Sinatra retired a couple of times. I think Madonna has done a couple of final tours. I'm not sure. Okay, in terms of Art Bell, do you think he believes any of this stuff, or is he just doing a show, or was he just doing a show strictly for the entertainment value, period? I, I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to say I don't know. What is strange to people and strange to me, strange in many ways, is that I have never met Art Bell. I have never talked to Art Bell on the telephone. I have never communicated with Art Bell. Even though, I mean, I've, at one point uh, I was standing in an office and he was on the phone and somebody said, to Art, oh, Hilly's here, do you want to talk to him? And he apparently said no. I don't know, Mr. Bell, but that, that is the direct answer to the question. Uh, I've talked to George Norrie about this also, and uh, uh, George feels that, um, you know, Hart is a, a very strange man. Uh, I don't know how and why the uh, company puts up with, with some of his, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, idiosyncrasies. Yeah, idiosyncrasies. You know, idiosyncrasies, I guess is a pretty yeah. good word. Uh, you know, George Norrie, uh, for a year, stood by uh, because Art Bell said he had a bad back and um, even 10 minutes before airtime he was suddenly decided he wasn't going to do the show and then George was standing by so George every every single night for a year 
was standing by waiting to go on in case one of Hart's idiosyncratic moments occurred. In other words, he's the only talk show host with an understudy. You got it. You got it. Um, however, you know, Art broke... Well, I can't say this. I would say Art broke ground, but he didn't really, because I was on the air doing paranormal long before Art Bell was. Long John Nebel was on the air long before Art Bell was. And, um, you know, Art was lucky enough to come on or have a program at a time when syndication was very big, and people were snapping up programs left and right. And what happened was uh, somebody uh, picked up Art Bell's show and, put, and took it national, and therefore he became, you know, Mr. Mr. Paranormal. Uh, that doesn't put Art down at all. He's a he's a, a good broadcaster, and I want to make that very clear. I have no feelings of uh, that he he doesn't deserve what he's gotten over the years. Uh, it's just that uh, uh, I think that he's in his own world. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think he realizes that there are other person, other people around him who pick up the pieces. And that's about all I got for you guys. I'm going to have to go pretty quick. I'll tell you what, listeners want to know more about what you do and what you have to say to us in terms of your broadcasting. Where do they contact you or where do they check you out online? I broadcast and have been for two years now uh, for Fate Magazine at www.fatemag.com dot com slash radio and so I'll give it to you www.fatemag.com slash radio and we have a link over at the Paracast site we were talking to Hilly Rose broadcast legend on the Paracast Hi this is Timothy Green Beckley otherwise known as Mr. UFO reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal and we have a special offer for the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos and it's all for free or drop us a line mr ufo at webtv.net in a world where ufo conventions are completely utterly boring come something new from a whole bunch of people who are trying to do something new the culture of contact 2008 ufo festival it is reality starring david bassett david Edney, dr william j burns david hatcher child rest patricia corbett richard dolan bud hopkins ellen blognow michael mannion Melissa reed jeff ritzman Giorgio sukalos <laughs> jeremy faney and farrier duzo special president by Combustive Motor Corporation, Masahiro Kata, and the world premiere of the silent but deadly truth illusion of truth. For more information and to order tickets, please visit www.cultureofcontact.com. <laughs> Once again, that's www.cultureofcontact.com. Card subject to change. You could be screwed financially. Probably not, though.
So Hilly Rose gives you an impression in his conversation how networks regard the paranormal in terms of paranormal radio. To them, it's either a moneymaker or not. So even though he had 20 people filling up his call center, he wasn't getting the ratings. The station came to him and said, no more paranormal. End of story. Doesn't matter what the content is. Doesn't matter if it's serious, fanciful, entertainment or not. No ratings, no show. That's the case with all broadcast media, Gene. Of course. I mean, that's true for television, true for radio. They don't care. You can get on radio and say whatever you want, hence people like Michael Savage. You can be an absolute animal. Really, you're really insulting animals. You're insulting animals to say that you could be an absolute animal and then citing Michael Savage. Please. Now, we understand he is from New York, and he does have a doctorate, but that's it. He has a doctorate? Yes, he does. Stop it. He has a doctorate in him? No, in biology, actually. Get out of here. I'm not kidding. Really? Yeah. Oh, boy, I have to go jump off a roof now. That's just depressing. Go ahead. But no, 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 no. You know, the bottom line is that the media is all about making money in advertising. And at the end of the day, uh, they'll put up anything. Though there's all sorts of stuff going on in the media these days that kind of tell us that the tides, they are changing. Or is that is that the right quote? I think I got that wrong. The times are a changing. Oh, the times there are a changing. The tides it is a changing. Whatever. The times there are changing. It's not the New York Times, by the way, or the Washington uh, Post. Although the Washington Post, I don't know the New York Times. Is it the paper it was? The paper of record that it was. Oh. Why are we getting into this? Uh, well, be, see, and this is something that we said we would never do. We said we would absolutely steer clear of political discussion on the show. But the thing is, Gene. In the last couple of weeks, what we're dealing with is really beyond politics now. This is this is something different. And I think that at the end, the events of the last couple of weeks show us that there's something brewing here. Well, let me backtrack a little bit to show you that there is a connection between politics and a lot of the subjects we deal with. Of course, we talk about remote viewing. Well, the government was investigating remote viewing, right? Yeah, they absolutely. were conducting experiments, right? Don't and then we talk about UFOs. The first book... I read about UFOs, flying saucers from outer space, by Major Donald Kehoe, Marine Corps mm-hmm. Major. He was actually a balloon pilot, by the way, believe it or not, in the 1920s. Hello? See, really? he was the one, Project Mogul, Kehoe. No, I'm ser- not serious. Oh, here. stop it. You're going to make people crazy. What are you doing? Okay, but seriously speaking, Kehoe's book was political. Why? Because the government has a silence group, he says. The government knows that UFOs are spaceships. They should reveal it to us. So suddenly... We're dealing with politics because we're dealing with government, government agencies, what they may know. He said in his book, write to your congressmen and write to your senators and have them conduct hearings and the truth will come out. Of course, they've had hearings. Even Gerald Ford, when he was a congressman, had hearings. Where did that go? Oh, that brought about the Condon report. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, today, of course, nobody trusts the government. I mean, Congress has a 10% approval rating. So we expect them, we expect to trust these people to tell us the truth about UFOs when we can't even believe what they say about anything else. And therein lies a tale. David? Well, therein lies the complex nature of reality. Because really, Gene, I think what we've now seen in the last couple of weeks 
is that we have a facade of political parties in our country. We have this idea that you've got ooh, both types of music, country and western. The old line from the Blues Brothers. You've got Democrats, you've got Republicans, and supposedly these represent two different sides of the American personality. I no longer believe that this is the case. And the reason I feel it's important to talk about this is that when we talk about what's been going on in our country, we talk about the issue of UFO secrecy. If we look at UFO secrecy, certainly what I think becomes clear in talking about this, and what I've come to believe, I don't know this, I believe this, what I've come to believe by having conversations on our show with people like Rich Dolan, is that at this point, when we think about demanding the truth about the UFO reality from the government, we're assuming that, quote-unquote, the government knows, that our elected officials know something. But I'm really at the point where I believe that we have this superficial level, this facade of elected officials. And underneath of that, we have, I mean, some people have called it the shadow government, some people have called it the secret government, I don't know that it's so secret at this point, and it's probably true or fair to say it operates in the shadows, but we have a layer of sort of faux decision-making on top, then underneath we have the real deal. And I think it's time for us to understand this about our government, and in terms of the whole UFO secrecy thing, trying to demand that the Congress get together and reveal the truth. I don't think that's a possibility because I don't think Congress has any idea of what's going on with that. And in the same vein, if we look at what's happened the past couple of weeks in our country, I'm of the belief now that this is not an issue of politics. There's something very deeply disturbing going on here, Gene. And I want to bring it up on the show because I've seen nothing in the mainstream media about something that I just went and did some extremely basic research. I mean, some armchair Google Foo stuff. Nothing extravagant. Because I have to tell you, as Henry Paulson was making these demands for his money, and I say his money, we'll get to that in a moment, making demands, this, these dire, dire stories of, you know, it's the earth is going to come crashing down. There's going to be fire everywhere and blood spilling from the windows if you don't give me $700 billion right now. And something about this bothered me, Gene. It, it kind of in the same way that when I hear in the paranormal realm, someone making really weird, questionable statements like Greer, and it bothers me, and I think, well, no, 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 we're not seeing what's really going on here. So, so check this out. And I encourage everybody who listens to the Paracast, Forget the issue of politics from it. We're going to talk about something that's really parapolitical. It's outside of the typical political sphere, Gene. Henry Paulson, what do you know about this guy? Good question. Tell me. Well, you know he's the Secretary of the Treasury, right? Okay. You know that, right? Okay, here's what we know about Henry Paulson. He's not Pat Paulson, the comedian who pretended oh. to be... A presidential candidate. He's not Pat Paulson. He was a CEO for Goldman Sachs, the large investment bank, which still seems to be doing well amongst many that aren't, before he became the Treasury Secretary. That's what we know about him. That, that's sort of what we know. Now, if we start to dig a little deeper, we start to find some other things that are, in some ways, more interesting than others. I mean, we find that he was John Ehrlichman's assistant from 72 to 73. John Ehrlichman. If you want to find out more about that, go go search the web on that one. Or better yet, watch Oliver Stone's incredible movie, Nixon. Lots of Ehrlichmen in there. Also, yeah, of course, why don't yeah. you watch All the President's Men? 
Well, you could watch that too. I know that Ehrlichman is specifically portrayed in the Nixon movie, in Oliver Stone's Nixon movie. It's also a movie I really, really love. But forget all that. On his Wikipedia page, and I want to read this right from his Wikipedia page. It says his net worth has been estimated at over $700 million, okay? <sighs> and, and we'll put that aside. Okay, that's, that's interesting. Here's a guy worth $700 million. All right, I guess you need to have money to be the Secretary of the Treasury, right? Right, but then maybe after the stock market crashed, his net worth oh. would be $100 million. Oh, Well, see, that's kind of interesting because it turns out that something like $500 million of those dollars are tied up in Goldman Sachs stock. Now, this should already be raising some alarm bells here because if you've got the Secretary of the Treasury who's looking for some big chunk of money with no oversight, with absolutely no control over how he spends it, Nothing. And that was the original two-page draft for the bailout plan was basically Paulson taking this insane amount of power, a real just very, very blatant power grab that I think concerned a lot of people, but I think for the wrong reasons. Parenthetically, though, when you join government, aren't you supposed to put your holdings into a blind trust so you can't be influenced by them uh, or influence mm -hmm. them? Uh, we're talking about the Bush years, but I don't want to make this about politics yet. See, because here's the thing about Paulson. What's not real obvious about the guy, and there's a short little mention on his Wikipedia page. I'm going to read it to you. It says, right after the $700 million note, Paulson has personally built close relations with China during his career. In July 2008, it was reported by the Daily Telegraph that, quote, Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson has intimate relations with the Chinese elite dating from his days at Goldman Sachs when he visited the country more than 70 times. Now, I read that, and this big red alarm bell started just popping off in my head, kind of like an aneurysm. I thought, whoa, 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 well, I would whoa, think he's whoa. suffering from eternal jet lag, if nothing else. Well, forget that. I'm sure it was all in a very nice private jet. It was very cushy. He, he wasn't dealing with screaming babies in, in the next style over, okay? And we're not even talking first class. He was flying in the nice little Learjet, the nice little private jet. Forget all that. I mean, I thought, wait a minute. Secretary of the Treasury in bed with the Chinese. Whoa. So I go and get back into Google, type Henry Paulson and the word China. And let me tell you, that was a revelation. Because up comes an article called Bears a Close Watch. Now, this is on... The National Review website. National Review is a hardcore right-wing website. So founded by the late William F. Buckley Jr. Classical yeah. oh, right-wing publication, but an intellectual right-wing publication. Okay, right, right, right. No Absolutely. religious right, none of that crap. This is no, no. all intellectual stuff. This is, you know, this is the spawn of Buckley. So it has to have some intelligence behind it. Buckley, the guy who went on his yacht. And went, what, 20 miles offshore to smoke his joints. Just wanted to point that out. No big deal there. The guy was a pothead, and he, he went off of uh, actual U.S. territory to be able to get high. Not that he's hypocritical or anything. Let's forget that. Okay. Now, here's the thing. This article, Bears a Close Watch, is in the National Review. So I'm not going to hear any feedback about, oh, my God, this is some left-wing bit of stuff you're bringing up. No, no, no. When Paulson was brought in to be the Secretary of the Treasury by Bush, a writer for National Review, this guy Frank Gaffney Jr., writes this article about all of the concerns 
about Paulson becoming the Secretary of Treasury because of his incredibly deep connections into the Chinese government and big Chinese business. In fact, the, what they call out in this article is that they actually say that Paulson is to China what Armand Hammer was to Russia. Now, if anybody's interested in the history of American-Russian uh, economic ties and relations, the name Armand Hammer is right at the top of the heap. He basically was the guy who pioneered the commercial connections in the 20th century between Russia, between Moscow and Washington. Armand Hammer was he's well known. You, again, go search him out. Fascinating guy. So Paulson is is referred to as the Armand Hammer China. China holds so much of our paper. China, the country that we're deeply indebted to. So now you've got a guy who is the Secretary of the Treasury asking for these incredible powers. And he's in bed with the Chinese government. Not only that, but he also has a half billion dollar stake in the recovery of Goldman Sachs. Are you starting to smell a rat here? That, and, and by the way, Gene, this has not been in the mainstream media. The mainstream media has not mentioned anything about Paulson's background, just that he was CEO of Goldman Sachs. Now, what they again, have mentioned, by the way, is his frustration yeah. at dealing with Congress. Brain tonic, the smart antidote to head fog, the world's first organic botanical-based caffeine-free think drink, designed for mental focus and clarity. Tastes great, super safe, with no caffeine crash. Just great fuel for your cranium. No chemical preservatives, no sugar, no fake anything. Check it out at www.maxsales.com slash tonic, that's spelled with a T-O-N-I-T. Q. That's www.maxsales.com slash tonic. Again, the spelling T-O-N-I-Q. Check it out today. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack, Attack. of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, the soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy, a thrilling story. Attack, Attack. of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? What I have to mention yeah. is that on the Paracast, Gene and David are talking shop. Doesn't this really start to raise some serious concerns? Now, now, here's the thing that raises concerns yeah. for me. Remember, the Treasury Secretary has to be approved by Congress. 
He isn't just hired and he goes to work like happens with a normal person. The Senate has to approve his appointment like a Supreme Court justice. So wouldn't somebody be smart enough to look at his connections and say, okay, you have all this money. It's being put into a blind trust, right? What about your connection to the Chinese government, the work you've done for the Chinese government? Oh, I'm sorry. They didn't ask that question. I don't know that they did or didn't. I haven't gone back and looked at uh, Congress grilling this guy. They might have. I don't know what he told them. If what he told them is anything like what he told New York Congressman Chuck Schumer, who I saw there's this video on YouTube. It's brilliant. It's Schumer grilling Paulson. Now, Schumer was a guy who basically was for the bailout. Okay, let's start right there. But in this clip that's sitting up on YouTube, while they were grilling Paulson about the issues of the $700 billion bailout, Schumer says to Paulson, well, you know, it concerns us that you want all this money up front. Couldn't you take like a chunk of it, maybe like $150 billion? And then Schumer says, you know, I never thought I'd see the day where I recall $150 billion a small amount of money, but couldn't you take that smaller chunk and and then sort of at that point, if it works out, it let's gauge how this works over, let's say, three months. And then if it seems like this is working, then we'll give you some more money. And to watch this video, Gene, and to watch Paulson's face, I mean, this guy would be busted in a Sicilian card game in like three seconds. He was just BSing his way around this question saying, well, no, 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 uh, I, we need all the money now because we have to, we have to restore confidence. And I thought, confidence to, to who exactly? I mean, to the average consumer, the average consumer is so screwed at this point. The average American is in such a bad place right now that this idea of this bailout somehow if, if working for them, well, let's put it this way, Gene, they didn't buy into it. And as we, now know when we're airing the show, the first version of the bailout was shot down. Now there's a second one, apparently that's being tossed around that they think may pass by the end of the week that we're that we're taping this, which would be a couple of days ago. So basically, um, it happened. So whatever happened is going to happen. But there was another thing that was added by Congress, and that was to have quote unquote a separate independent supervisory or watchdog. Yeah, who, what, made up of Republicans and Democrats? Supposedly no, bipartisan, whatever you oh, want to call no, it. No, 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 no. Listen, man, this is very simple. This is real easy. And, again, we might lose some listeners for going into this today. But I think it's time because what's at stake is is everything. Kind of like what they were saying in this fear buildup, which is that, you know, this is it. Bush went on television and told the American population... We're screwed. The plane's going down. And if you don't pull this ripcord, it's all over for all of us. Right? Like, he's going to get hammered. Since then, by the way, his approval rating went down to 27%, which is a record low for somebody who wasn't being Why is it that high? That's true. Come on. You know, come on. What, a third of Americans think this guy is worth anything? But, again, let's pull back because this is no longer about Democrat versus Republican, Gene. This is really, and I guess we always saw this coming. This has always been the truth of this country, is that the battles that have really been waged internally in this country, and which continue to be waged, are class battles. That's what this country is really about. And there are people like Howard Zinn, a historian who has written 
uh, extensively on this topic. And, and, you know, again, for those listeners who are thinking, oh, he's going into the left wing. It's like, no, no, no. Just, just stop it already. Okay. Don't you all understand that this whole left wing, right wing thing is an invention? It's made up. Don't you guys get this yet? It's time to wake up. And we have to do this now because there is, Gene, I think, an end game coming up here. I could be wrong about this. Just like there's some people who are wrong thinking that disclosure is coming next year. I could be wrong about thinking that there's an end game happening. But And I want to qualify this. I'm not an economist. So I'm running into my own limitations of my understanding of things. I mean, I'll tell you this. If you really want to get scared, go look into a thing called the derivatives market. Ha ha. You think this bailout thing is something scary? Go look at the derivatives market. I read a number. And again, I'm trying to get my brain around all this. All right, this is some tough stuff, and I'm not saying I understand all of this, but there's this thing called the derivatives market. And by the way, if there are any of our listeners who are really, really fluent in all this, please feel free to go to our forums and write about this. Please, I'm very anxious to engage our listeners in a conversation about this, because this whole thing about the derivatives market, the amount of money at play there, Gene, apparently the number I've read, which made my brain just topple out of my skull, was one quadrillion dollars. Now... When we talk about $700 billion and how scary that number is, that's one thing. But to deal with the number of a quadrillion, that's a thousand trillion. That is an extinction event. That is not, that is not a comet hitting the Earth. That's the Earth cracking in half. I mean, that might represent, I don't know, uh, I'm going to go on a limb here, the economy of the planet. All of it? And again, this is where my own limitations of economic understanding come right to the foreground. I'm not claiming I understand this, but there's this derivatives market thing, and some of the kind of the, the underground, I won't say underground, some of the online banter about this is that when that chicken comes home, all of our gooses are cooked. That basically, that, that is, again, it's an extinction event. It's hard to imagine at that point what we'd be dealing with. But, but here's what I want to, to – let's get back to the topic I wanted to really get into before, which was Bush goes on and puts up this whole scare tactic. Now, we've seen the guy do this already. I mean, that's how we got into the Iraqi misadventure was him basically screaming, you know, mushroom clouds, you know, the sky's falling, blah, blah, blah. So here Bush – has been on top of this thing. I mean, in the last couple of, of weeks, we've actually seen him like address the U.S. public every other day or so. Like every third day, he comes out and actually like says something, which is pretty rare for him. It's pretty unusual. And I'm thinking to myself, now wait a minute. He's going on national television telling the American people how vulnerable we are. He keeps underscoring this thing about the sky falling. Now, Gene, in today's world, when the president goes on television and says something to the American people. He's not just talking to the American population. He's talking to the world. He's talking to the world. And the guy's going on television saying to the world that we are vulnerable, we are weak, that we are in a crisis situation. He's saying this to the world while our troops are stretched thin overseas to the extent where what we're hearing now, for those of us who are paying attention, is that the situation in Afghanistan is getting worse and that we have some serious need for troops in Afghanistan. In the debate between, the first debate between Obama and McCain, Obama said, 
that his priority would be to get some troops out of Iraq and throw them in, in Afghanistan. And he said this, again, in a public venue, which I thought was very odd. So here we have the President of the United States signaling to the world that we are vulnerable. We have Polson, who clearly uh, has a whole sort of a dark side to him that we don't know about, screaming that he needs $700 billion like now. I don't know, Gene. I stand back and I look at all this, and if I were, let's say, an alien species looking in, not really knowing anything about the, <laughs> the intricacies of human uh, interpersonal and psychological dynamics, if I was just looking at this objectively, I'd say, well, I don't know. It seems to me like these guys are trying to bring down the government from inside the government. So we got, and again, you want the mother of all political conspiracies. We've got Paulson in the, in the pocket of the Chinese. We've got the Bush family in bed with the Saudis. And there is this huge effort to expose our vulnerabilities to the world and to grab whatever money's left. What does this sound like to you? Well, Gene, how, how about it sounds like we're going to be fooled again? This is not some issue where there's some check written out and we forget about it. This is something I think very different. And on my other radio show that I do that people have asked about uh, on our forums, my Angry Human show. Before we go on, tell people where they could listen to that show. Okay. RocklandWorldRadio.com. RocklandWorldRadio.com. Uh, Tuesday nights from 10 to 11. And you'll, if you just click on the programming for Tuesday, you'll see Angry Human. And uh, you can go download it and listen to it from there. It's free, of course, like the Paracast. They're not QuickTime files, unfortunately, or MP3 files. They're Windows Media files. So if you're running a Mac, you need to get the Flip for Mac plugin, and it can then play them. You can also actually, if you have Flip for Mac installed, you can download the episodes, open them up in, in, a, in the QuickTime player, and you can export them as MP3s. And that's how you actually would end up getting them into your iPod. Okay, let's talk about the end game here. Well, I, uh, I'm on Angry Human, I made the statement, and I've been waiting for a Secret Service like knock on my door. I made the statement. Just that a minute, I, excuse me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> They're knocking on your door, not mine. <laughs> That's because they think it's me. I'm originating this conversation, so they think it's That's my fault. No, no, it's David B. Edney, please. They got here pretty quick. They got to you pretty quick. They haven't knocked on my door yet. They come smashing through my windows. They wouldn't knock. They don't knock on the door. They just break the door down. Let's let's be clear about that. Now, I basically talked about this whole thing and made the statement that I think now it's become very clear to me, at least. And maybe I'm being reactionary here. Maybe I'm being extreme and paranoid. I don't know. All maybe all the above. But I think now there is a case to be made for treason. I think that the Bush administration, including Rumsfeld. Cheney, Rice, Paulson. I want to go back and scoop up Wolfowitz. You know, and all of these names, by the way, can be seen in the PNAC document online. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, you already know about this, the Project for a New American Century, where these guys, before the Bush administration was in power, publicly stated that we had to, you know, basically have a war with Iraq to take them over and that we would need a, a, a Pearl Harbor-level event to instigate all this. They said it. I'm not making this up. The documents are online. They were blatantly public about their aspirations and their agenda. This is not some political conspiracy. Again, this is absolute fact. You, you don't have to 
embellish this or make this up. They went and said it. So now we've got a situation where a number of people who were who, who were the assigned on PNAC are members of the Bush administration. We look at the last eight years, the incredible erosion of civil rights, the decimation of our reputation around the world, the issues of torture. I mean, in the debates, Gene, McCain said, we can't have torture again, or I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but the way he said it was an admission that we had been torturing. Torture. This is not like subtle stuff, okay? This is very, very bad. Then there was the revelation. I don't have the name in front of me, and uh, for those interested in this, I could, I'll post some links to the story on the Paracast forums. There was the case of the cameraman for Al Jazeera who was arrested in Afghanistan, I think in 2002, and who was held in Guantanamo Bay up until, I think, just a month or two ago when he was released. His story is most fascinating, especially I mean, besides the fact that they tortured this guy for like six and a half years. They basically tell him they know they've got nothing on him, but they want him to become an American spy, to go back over there and go in as a spy. And they tortured him to try to convince him to do this. I won't even talk about those issues, but we have all of this stuff that's been bubbling underneath of us for the last eight years. I mean, you know, the, the decimation of the Treasury by dumping all of this money to the tune of $10, $12 billion a month in Iraq. How much in Afghanistan, I can't even tell you at this point. And you know what? Something that's very interesting here, David. Yeah. And that is that people don't even notice anymore. Like, this was something that came in under the radar. We're talking about the $700 billion bailout. Uh-huh. The Federal Reserve had released $650 billion into the banking system, which, of course, well, apparently on. had no impact. Well, what, what does that mean? What means they print No, no, no. Money. You have to finish. You have to finish the statement. The Fed's released $630 billion into the uh, global currency market on Monday morning, the morning before the bailout plan was voted on. That morning. You see, Gene, it's the timing of this. And what's interesting here, too, is the fact that they have the power to print money. They print money. You need another $100 billion here or there? No big deal. Turn on the printing press, guys. Let's go. Let's make Play money. Now, what was it in Germany before World War II? They had the situation where... Hyperinflation. Hyperinflation. Hyperinflation, where money... You've taken a bag of money to buy a loaf of bread. Well, you don't need this in Germany. You had this in Zimbabwe this year, okay? You had crazy hyperinflation where they're printing up these $100 billion notes, Zimbabwe dollars, and they all of a sudden start printing them up on black and white paper, because the German printing house that was manufacturing their currency said that unless Zimbabwe paid its printing bill, they weren't going to ship any more currency over. So now Zimbabwe is printing up like these little desktop published things, these banknotes that are worthless. They're so working on their $50 inkjet printer. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of a great scam if you can do it. Of course, the problem with all of this being, and, and again, I'm not an economist, but I can do one plus one is two. I mean, if you start printing money when you have nothing to back it up, then all the money that's out there basically is worth less. You're diluting the value of the currency. And so what's happening? Well, what's happening is exactly that. We're diluting the value of our currency. So you've got a situation where no matter how much money you have in dollars, as time goes by, the value of those dollars goes down and down. Look, there are many cases where you can study how this has happened in modern history. 
in Venezuela. Here's a country uh, now at odds with us. It's a country I grew up in. I was in Venezuela from 74 to 79, Gene. Those five years that I was in Venezuela, the currency down there is the Bolivar, named after Simon Bolivar. And uh, for the five years that I lived down there, the Bolivar was basically 4.3 believers to the dollar. So about four and a half believers to the buck. Okay? If you can believe that, of course. No, no, no. Well, boom, boom, bacha. No, bottom line, for all of those years, the believer was 4.3 believers to the dollar. And I'm going to the universal currency converter. And and Ronnie's doing this, by the way. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Airy Radio, opening the door to the unknown. Download episodes of Airy Radio directly from iTunes or visit their website at www.airyradio.com. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. On the Paracast, we are talking politics, that subject that we hesitate to deal with because it ends up that just about everything we talk about on the show, from the paranormal to the conventional reality, well, folks, it looks like it all has something to do with politics. Whatever we get involved with in terms of all the subjects that we deal with on the Paracast, somewhere along the line, there's going to be a political aspect to it. Well, Gene, the minute you have more than two people in a room, you've got politics, man. I mean, that's just right. That's the reality of, of human relationships. So here's the thing. 
74.79, believers to the dollar. Right now, one dollar is worth 2,147 believers. You want to talk about inflation and devaluation of currency? So you can imagine if you're a middle-class Venezuelan, of which there weren't many, and you've got, let's say, you've been lucky enough or smart enough to save a bunch of money in believers in the bank. So, now obviously this didn't happen overnight, Gene. It's been happening over years. But you have to wonder about a country where, you know, a wash in oil, they supply something, I think they're what, the fourth or no, the second largest supplier of oil? No, I think maybe the fourth largest supplier of oil to the United States. Canada's number one, the Saudis are number two. I want to say Russia's number three. I might be wrong about that. I actually think that's, that's true though. And then I think Venezuela's number four. So here's a country that's got this commodity that we desperately need, we want. Um, we're not the only ones. The rest of the world wants oil, too. But even with that vast amount of oil that Venezuela possesses, their currency has been devalued to the extent where, as I said, four and a half Bs to the dollar in the 70s, 2,100 believers to the dollar, and it's probably even worse on the black market. So the, the point is that if you want to understand how devaluation works, well, I'll give you another example. Argentina. Argentina owed the International Monetary Fund a bunch of money. And essentially, in late 2001, Argentina defaulted on its loan. So the currency down there was the peso, is the peso. The peso was pegged to the dollar, one to one. One dollar, one peso. Overnight, basically, Argentina goes into a terrible, terrible financial tailspin. The banks limit how much money people can can withdraw. There are riots in the streets. There's blood spilled. Pretty much within a few days, the peso is six pesos to the dollar. So now your, your peso is worth one-sixth of what it originally was, overnight, basically. And at this point, it has stabilized to about three pesos to the dollar. So in a stable environment, their money is worth one-third of what it was. Now... Because of that, Argentina is one of the few places Americans can go where their dollar is, you know, worth something. Unlike going to Europe or unlike going to Japan, where you go with dollars and, you know, it, it, the euro is now at about a buck fifty to one euro. And mind you, Gene, and again, I'm not an economist, but I remember when the conversion to the euro happened, there were a lot of economists who were screaming, this isn't feasible, this is crazy, are you kidding, you're going to take Greece off the drachma, a currency it's had for like 2,000 years, and get it over to the euro, that's never going to fly, yeah, never going to fly, to the tune of one and a half dollars for every euro, oh, did it fly, it flew and dropped bombs on us, so... The point of this is that if you want to like look at how this can play out, look at these examples and realize that the reason that the cost of food keeps going up in your supermarkets and the reason that the cost of your heating oil keeps going up is that the value of the dollar keeps going down as the Fed, which by the way, is not part of the government. It's a private company. It's referred to as a quasi-official organization, but it really isn't. And Isn't and, and that what look, they were saying also about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that it was well, some kind of quasi-organization yeah. related to the government, but not related to the government? Not now. Now they're 
definitely part of the government. Right. Now yes. the government just socialized. There's that ugly word, socialism. The government socialized the two largest mortgage holders in the country. So those have been socialized. What will be socialized next? Will they try to just socialize the financial banking market? And the people didn't bite because this rat was so big and smelled so bad that it basically, it is turning the conservative movement onto itself like hungry wolves eating their young. These House Republicans who got up and voted against the bailout, and they claim it was because of a speech that Nancy Pelosi makes, that turncoat who stated that impeachment was off the table with Bush. Let's not even go down that path because... I'll turn into the angry human. If people thought I was I'll like, tell you something. I'll tell you something very interesting, okay? What? Now, my wife tends to be somewhat centrist or moderate in her political beliefs. However, when it comes to Bush, she says he's got to be impeached. He should have been impeached. Yeah. Now, consider okay. that. This is somebody who is not your typical liberal or progressive or whatever you want to call them nowadays. Mm-hmm. This is somebody who would be... You know, slightly to the left of the yeah. normal right. Bush constituent. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the guy. I, I mean, does it take a genius to figure this out at this point? And by the way, the press, the mainstream media were the ones that were saying this spring, Bush lame duck presidency now. Bush, there's nothing he can really do between now and the end of the year. He's at the end of his term. He has no power. He has low approval. Bush... What else can he do? I mean, the New York Times Sunday Magazine had a cover story about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, about, you know, or little Bush heading off into the sunset. That's it. His presidency is over. There's nothing he can do. To which I say, really? There's nothing this guy can do in the months that are left? Seriously? Look what he just tried to do. Look at what these guys just try to pull off. What many of us think, very possibly, would have been the greatest theft in all of American history. This makes the purchase of Manhattan Island look legit, okay? This is like something else. And Bush is the one who got up on on the television screen and started screaming, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. Now, thankfully, it looks like enough of the American public learned enough about this technique that this guy does to stop this one. All right. These House Republicans came forward and said, you know, well, truth is we were getting, uh, you know, like thousands upon thousands of calls at our office to not do this. And I can tell you that in the last couple of weeks, Chuck Schumer's office, Hillary Clinton's Washington offices, they were getting calls from me just about every day because I understand that at this point, like I say on Angry Human, this is cheaper than therapy, calling up your government officials and basically laying into them. And they surprisingly enough, a lot of them listened because well, both Democrats and Republicans said no to that bill. And they right. didn't do it because Nancy Pelosi said some partisan no, crap during no, her speech. That's an excuse. Not. That's yeah, a silly, silly excuse. They did it because they felt the bill was flawed, period. Well, they did it because they could smell the pitchforks and fire, man. They want to get reelected, they, you know. They, well, they want to get reelected, but they also 
also realized that, you know, maybe this might have been the straw that would have broken the American camel's back. And this might have been the one that did get people onto the streets, that did get people protesting, that did get people striking. I mean, Gene, uh, it took a lot less to get the Argentinians into the streets screaming with everything they had. I mean, it took less than what we're looking at. I mean, they were just ready to default on a loan to the IMF. This was about basically emptying the treasury out and handing it to a bunch of hedge fund directors, you know, which was just at that point, it, it, the irony was just too thick. You know, excuse me, a free market system where you're basically saying to companies, oh, don't worry if you screw up, we'll give you the dough. Now, now there's a commentator on the air, a conservative yeah. commentator, by the way, by the name of Glenn Beck. And Glenn Beck has been saying, you know, folks, a fascist neo-Nazi scum. That's whatever what you is. think about what was he him. Saying? Okay, slime ball. Okay, I hope he gets run under a bus. Okay, once he gets out I from under the bus, he was saying something. Though he was saying something. Okay, let me just say what he. No, I'm angry human now, and I'm pissed off. What is uh, this? Okay, he was saying that what's going to happen here by doling it out in little pieces rather than all at once, that creates the climate to come back and say. Hey guys, seven hundred billion didn't make it. Let's make it one trillion. Let's make it is one half. Is he an economist? No. Excuse me. Is he an economist? No. Is he a human being? No. He's a paramecium, so I don't care what he says. He doesn't. Count. But you know what? He didn't disagree with you. He's a neo-Nazi. Screw him. I don't care. I wouldn't wipe my shoe with him. Okay. Let's be clear here. I've had enough of these <laughs> the guys. Angry human. This. By eight the way, years of this. Eight years. I remember the Reagan years. I've had quite enough of this, and I think a lot of other people have had quite enough of this. Seriously, all snark aside, all cuteness aside, people like to make comedy out of this. You know what? This isn't funny. This is our futures. And by the way, I don't have kids. I don't have children that are going to inherit this nightmare. So what the hell do I care? I check out of this planet and, and I, I let the thing burn. Who cares? I don't have kids. I think it's parents with children that should be up in arms and in the street. It's their kids that are going to have to suffer with this nightmarish situation that I think is basically fair, complete. I think it's a done deal. Okay, can this be? Can this situation be saved? Sadly, I don't think so. Every great empire in history has fallen, Gene, when they have overextended themselves. The depth of the overextension of our economics, of our financial system, of our ethical system, Gene. We are absolutely tapped out. We have no more moral superiority in this world. This idea of bringing freedom and justice to the world, yeah, go ask the Iraqi people about freedom and justice that the United States brings them. You go ask them how many people were killed. And, and I have to tell you, man, when Barack Obama, and the more I hear Barack Obama speak, the less I like him, I have to tell you. When this guy was talking about the American losses in Iraq, on the debate with McCain, he brought up the over 4,000 American soldiers dead, the 30,000 wounded, and he stopped it there. What a schmuck this guy is. You're speaking to a global audience, and in the same breath that you mentioned the American losses, you don't happen to mention the what? At least 100,000 Iraqi civilians, not soldiers, not Usay and Uday. I'm not talking about the inside. At least 100,000 civilians. The theory is that the number is much, much higher. Much higher. We don't know the number. And we don't have There's... time to even get into it this time. But I think you can see oh. that Angry Human, David Bietney, and Gene Steinberg, for that matter, and Mrs. Steinberg, for that matter, we're all angry at what's happening. And we want to see a change. You want to see a change for the better before 
it's all over. Maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic than David, thinking that he thinks it's all over. I think、mm, maybe we have a two percent chance of overcoming this because next week there will be another episode of the Paracast, the Angry Paracast, the extremely <laughs> angry, insane, wild, and crazy Paracast, the Happy Alien. <laughs> the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.